to the South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. It's one of those things where it's really difficult to know that there's only 38 more games left in the Blue Jays season. Welcome to the South of the Six podcast, where you're part of the StadiumScene.tv network and part of the Overtime Media crew. It really just seems like baseball had just begun, but... We're only 38 more games remaining left in the season, and there's still a whole lot to talk about, so let's just break into it right now. Joining me tonight to discuss all things Blue Jays is Hunter Surplus of Take 6 and the Take 6 podcast. Hunter, man, it's been a minute. It has. It's been a while, but as always, I'm happy happy to be here. It's the best part of my week always when I'm on this show, Adam. <laughs> it's all because of you. Um, <laughs> other than that, things are going really well, as you know. Internship is ending soon. School is going to be up and running in a few weeks. So I'm just enjoying the last few weeks of my summer. I know summer still goes a little longer, goes into the school year, but I'm enjoying my last few weeks of summer now. Can you believe there's only 38 more games left, though? That's crazy. Yeah, not at all. Like, yeah. I But also, I feel like this season has kind of felt like it's restarted as all the new guys have kind of come up and started to play really well. So... Yeah, but no, I I I can't believe it. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of weird. It's kind of I think you're right on that. I think you're right on the nose that specifically ever since uh, Bo Bichette came up, it seems like okay now this team at least in the infield and the non-pitching side it's complete, right? <laughs> Everything's complete. Everything at, is as it should be. Um, obviously, the pitching is something we'll address later, but as it stands, the kids they're here, right? And this is the future we've been waiting for. And so far we haven't really been disappointed. Yeah, it's been, it's been amazing. And like, aside from the first, you know, the beginning of Vlad's career, kind of those, those little struggles, there hasn't been a whole lot of complaining in terms of at least the quote unquote big three that we now have in Biggio, Vlad and Bichette. Like it's been fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm even willing to say that it's like a big five, right? Like you have, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would throw, yeah. yeah, I would throw Guriel and Jansen in there. I think they're pretty much mainstays from from here on out. Like I can't envision a scenario in which the front office, and uh, obviously they've surprised me, you know, before, but I can't envision a scenario in which the front office would be eager or even willing to part with either of those five. Yeah, I agree. Big five. And, you know, with the way Hernandez has been hitting as of late and, you know, it's been a big six for a couple weeks, kind of. <laughs> uh, it's that's pushing it. But I mean, it's yeah, no, this past two, three weeks have been just like really fun to watch. And just like it really makes you think that this team can be good and can be really interesting within the next few years if they all kind of develop the way we want them to, even though some of them are a little bit older than the typical guys who you would consider a future of a team. Mm, yeah, okay, I, I can meet you there. That's that, that's for sure. I mean, like right now, they're definitely showing that they they're capable of of at least being entertaining, and that's not to downplay any of the accomplishments that they made on the field. It's just more that there's still a lot of wiggle room. Like you see these little intricacies in the infield. At least I do. Like from Biggio and specifically from Vlad at third. I'm just kind of like. Oh. There's some need for improvement there, but at least at the plate, like something that doesn't get talked about enough. If we're going to stick on, you know, any of these big five or big six that we're talking about, um, I know a lot of the hype 
is centered on Bobachet right now because he's the new shiny toy and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. because, you know, he's the franchise guy now. But I, to me, Craig, I mean, Craig, Kevin Biggio, <laughs> I'm dating myself. Kevin Biggio um, has the most beautiful swing on this team right now. And I don't know if that's a result of being a left handed hitter, but his approach at the plate to me is some of the most sound and just almost near perfect that I have seen on this Blue Jays team in a long time. Yeah, and I mean, it's tough to say because I really like Bichette's swing. It's kind of a mix between Donaldson and Jose Bautista, which are two of, obviously, the best Blue Jays that we've ever seen. And you're right, like, Biggio has a really good swing and it's you know it's very level it's very plain he's got the good he's got the good hands quick hands all that kind of stuff it's just we haven't necessarily seen it translate quite yet so it's harder to it's harder for the mundane eye because we know you adam are just such a great eye and great scouting of these (laughs) of these hitters um not even my wife compliments me this much (laughs) i'm just saying But yeah, no, you're right. Like, and it's it hasn't necessarily translated into the hits, but it's kind of like what's happening with the beginning of of Vlad's uh, time in the majors. His exit velocity is really high. His barrel percentage, if we're talking stack cast, is is relatively high. The launch angle is all right. He's not striking out a whole lot. It's not it's not great, but it's not bad. And he's hitting the ball really hard, which is what you want to see is just not translating into the hits that we want to see from, you know, what, like we've seen from Bichette. Sure. Sure. No, that's fair. And, you know, I, I just think that he's, he's sort of buried, right? Because the, even though he, he's part of this lineage, you know, the, these generational talents on the Blue Jays, and I, I'm almost convinced that it's by design. I'm not fully committed to that yet, but, um, it's sort of like he's an afterthought, right, Kevin? And I'm not trying to downplay anything about him. It's just that obviously the focus is and has been for the past couple of years on Vladi and, and Bo and for good reasons. But I do think that Kevin on this team is a nice little addition. And um, I, I just like to see him maintain that second base position because defensively, like I said about uh, Vlad and I sort of touched on it in Kevin, like there's still a lot to be wanted there from him. Like he seems a little flat footed. Um, The, the side to side isn't as quick enough as I'd like it to be. His positioning is fine when he's there and the arm strength is good enough, but it's just that I need to see a little bit more versatility in the infield position. And I have no doubt that he'll be able to, to accomplish that sooner rather than later. Yeah. And I think he has almost a higher upside than Bichette. In terms of his defensive abilities, I think Bichette is his speed kind of makes up for um, a couple of the other things that are are wrong with his defense. Um, but Biggio is is there as well. Like he has speed, he's got quick feet, and at the second base position, you don't need as much range, you know, going left to right as you would as a shortstop. Right. And you know, as we you've said with Vlad, he doesn't necessarily have the greatest potential as a def- as a defender in this league and that's not something that is new to anybody we've known that from the beginning to me Biggio and Bichette are kind of hand in hand when it comes to who will be the better defender it's hard to say right now I'm leaning more Bichette just based on you know speed and quickness but Biggio has the upside to get there and you know second base doesn't necessarily have the biggest 
uh, biggest load in terms of your defensive ability and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, right. That that the the downfalls of the second base position is sort of I don't want to say hidden, but it's not nearly as highlighted as a shortstop would be. Right? Exactly. Shortstop to exactly. me is like super important. It's kind of like I don't know if you play fantasy football, but if you do, it's kind of like if you have a solid tight end, then you're really like secure. It's kind of the same thing in baseball, right? If you have a solid shortstop, you're fine. You're secure, and that and that is probably next to starting pitching and relief pitching. If I'm to choose an infield position that I find to be the most important, I would say it's shortstop. And to have a sound and capable shortstop in Bobochet, that is absolutely like going to be crucial for this team's success moving forward. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think you can have that. And these guys are essentially on the same learning curve and they're on the same timeline. So that if, you know, when Bichette gets better, Biggio is probably going to get better as well. And, and, you know, vice versa, Biggio learns something new that Bichette can implement into his game or Bichette learns something Biggio can implement his, into his game. Both of them will probably and hopefully develop kind of at the same speed in the same time and peak at a, at a proper time when this team wants to win more games, I guess. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, so let's let's jump right into this because this past, uh, well, the past two series has been at least offensively rather impressive, um, and we're talking about this young core. We're talking about how they perform um, on the diamond. Let's talk about how they perform on the plate um, or at the plate rather. It's it's a crazy small sample size, right? We're talking four games against New York and three against Texas, but it's. It was pretty impressive what they were able to do. And, you know, it seems as though this group is gelling rather well, however you want to classify it, the big five, big six, whatever. Um, And there's definitely a sense of familiarity that they have with each other, and that is indicative of winning so much throughout their minor league career and being together as this unit. I think there's some value to that. Um, But the offensive production has been eye-opening, and considering that the Yankees came to town since then, the Jays have scored a total of 44 runs, and that is a lot. And a lot of that has to do with the 19-run performance against the Rangers, but it's still pretty impressive. In fact, it's very impressive. Um, I know the Rangers suck and fuck Texas. Like, I hate that team so much. Um, yep. And a lot of that has to do with 2015, of course. But, you know, seeing the Blue Jays sort of pummel them it's always great. And 19 runs, I mean, maybe that's indicative of 2019 baseball, but it's still entertaining nonetheless. I guess my question to you is, do you think this is sustainable carrying over into next year and into years in which the Blue Jays are going to start being competitive and entering this competitive window? Or do you think that maybe this is just the beginning? We're going to, we haven't really seen the lulls yet in a long stretch from these kids. Maybe you can point that to Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but I'm not there yet. Um, So where are you on this? Is this a sustainable thing and this is a sign of things to come? Or should we just pump the Jets right now and just be patient? They're still developing. This answer is kind of a cop-out, but I think it's somewhere in between. And it's it's because I do think that there will be times where we're going to have the best offense in the league for maybe 10 games or whatever it's going to be. And that'll be very heavily dependent on the lineup that they have, whether it's Bichette, Biggio, then Vlad, then, you know, Teoscar Hernandez, Rowdy Tellez maybe, and Gurriel. With a lineup with such heavy power hitters, and it kind of reminds me of a, you know, 
Diet Coke version of Donaldson, Bautista, Incarnacion, hmm. especially with Bichette, Biggio, and Vlad, because you're not going to want to have a guy on for Vlad. So you're going to have to pitch to a guy like Bichette or Biggio, who will hopefully be able to take advantage of those good pitches. Their averages will hopefully skyrocket in terms of getting their good pitches and hitting them hard, hitting them well. Mm-hmm. And then with guys on, you're going to see Vlad up at bat with you know one runner in scoring position, two runners in scoring position, whatever it's going to be. Someone's going to make a bad pitch. He's going to hit a home run. As he gets older, he'll get better at the plate, better vision, better all this kind of stuff. And then you get to a lower part of the lineup where there's still a lot of power and there's still a lot of good things that you can see. So even if two guys are struggling, there's enough firepower at the top end of the team that I think you will see a lot of a lot of good performances and maybe not 19 runs, obviously. But I do think that there's a lot of runs in store for a lot of different games for this young team. But like you said, there's, you know, Bichette isn't going to hit 365 for his career. No. But then again, I don't think Biggio is going to hit whatever it is, like 240 or 220. Hopefully not, right? And we're seeing Vlad get into the swing of things. And Teoscar Hernandez, after coming back from uh, AAA, he's got into the swing of things. Tellez, hopefully, will get into the swing of things. So I, I think it's a somewhere in between that we should pump the brakes just a little bit, but still have high expectations. Yeah, I I like that approach. I like the approach of, it's sort of like you're saying, you know, ease it back a little bit, but if it happens, fully embrace it, right? And and I'm I'm for that unconditionally. But the thing is, it's like, I don't know. It it seems to me that there is this surge of confidence within this Blue Jays team and this new identity. You, you referenced Jose Bautista, Josh Donaldson, and Edwin Encarnacion as this. That's the core that this, you know, I, I don't want to say the Blue Jays bandwagon fans, but a lot of these newer fans that have been introduced to the Blue Jays as a result of those players, as a result of that core, are now seeing this change, right? They're, they're witnessing this change of identity. And I think the team, these young kids, are fully embracing this and are fully aware that they are providing this team with a new identity and they are providing this this fan base and this future with something new. And they are the Blue Jays. And in fact, I do think the front office is very much aware of that. In fact, I think they're like sort of pushing for this. If anything that we can extrapolate from the trades of Sanchez and Stroman, we don't have to go down that road, but I'm just saying they definitely seem to want to make this team their own identity. And I think you see this confidence bleed off these players and, I, I just find that they really want to make this their own. They really want to grab it by the balls and make it their own and really, truly identify as Blue Jays. And that is something that I don't know that we really saw with the core, the previous core. Like, I do know that they were passionate about being Blue Jays, but I do think there was a sense of, yeah, but pay me. Right. And and I'm not getting that vibe from these kids, maybe because they're still new, maybe because they're on rookie deals and maybe they will be like that. Fast forward six or seven years into the future. But right now, I do feel like it's a welcome sign to seeing this philosophy of it's not about just the performance of the individuals. It's more about the performance of as the team as a whole. And I think that as a that's a result of how often and how uh, successful they were in the minor league system with all the championships and all the accolades that they've rallied up throughout their tenure in double A, single A, triple A, what have you. Yeah, I agree. And I think 
a lot of that comes from them getting the message and the front office doing a good job of this is going to be one time that I actually, you know, approve something the front office does here, <laughs> but it is of them letting them know, like, you guys are our future. We are going to do anything in our power to make sure that we put a team around you that is going to be successful and that whatever you guys need, whatever we think needs to be put around you guys is how we're going to make this team a successful team. We're not going to go out and trade for a guy like Josh Johnson. We're not going to go out and sign a guy like you know, Edwin Encarnacion or Josh Donaldson, a big name guy, because this team is going to be your team. No one's going to win an MVP if it's not the three of you guys or, you know, one of you guys. Do you think that is the case when it comes to just the hitting and infield side? Because I do find it to be likely that they'll probably look to make a big splash trade for a big name on the pitching side. I, like, I want to agree with that. It's just, I don't know how they're going to be able to make a big splash without trading one of their highly touted prospects or one of their younger guys. And like you saw the return we got for, but then again, you saw what we got back for a guy like Stroman and a guy like Sanchez. So maybe, maybe there is the ability to make those trades, but I like, it's tough to see because with the way that this is going with the way that the Jays have been, pushing towards a younger team and making all these trades to get much, much younger. I don't know, like they do have the assets to do it. I just don't know if they're pieces that are enough to really move the needle on any of these really big trades. I would like to see it happen in some way, but I think that probably means trading a guy like Guriel or Tiasker Hernandez in, in one of those deals. Do you think that, if by doing that, right? Because I think, all right, let, let's let's rewind it back a little bit. You mentioned the <laughs> the Strowman and the Sanchez trades, and again, I don't want to fully go down that road. But if we're to flip it, right? Say say Strowman was playing for the Mets, right, and we were acquiring Strowman. Would you consider that to be a big splash trade in favor of the Blue Jays? Uh, yeah, I think I would. Just I I would depending on the timeline and and where we're at like if if we were doing that for a season where we're going to lose 90 games 95 games yeah it's a big splash but it's not something that's gonna like i said move the needle right to uh to a winning team but if we're you know pushing for a wild card spot and we make that trade then i think that it's a way bigger deal you know maybe we can win the the first place spot in the al east maybe we can secure that wild card spot and have a guy who can pitch that wild card game and make sure we get into the actual playoffs and stuff. But I like it is to me, depending on the situation where we're at. And I mean, you don't want to trade away one of your young guys just to get a big name like Marcus Stroman, which I mean, the Mets kind of did that. Right. But I, yeah, like it's, it's tough to, it's tough to say because it's, it's hard to know when this team is really going to be at its at its peak until you've seen them for a year, year and a half maybe. So right now, I don't think there's any point in really, you know, making trades for big name guys unless they're on the timeline. But yeah. See, there's a scenario in which, and maybe this is a, a super unlikely scenario. And, you know, maybe I'm just drinking the Kool Aid when it comes to how talented I, I find these young players to be in this new core, um, at least on the offensive side. But so for the Yankees, there's no end in sight. 
Like they're they're really good, and they should be really good for the foreseeable future. And same thing with the Tampa Bay Rays. Like they they always find a way to be good with players that like on paper you wouldn't think were that great, but they're always like come out of nowhere because you got to give credit to their farm system. But like there is a scenario in which like the Orioles could be in like purgatory for quite a while, and the Red Sox are still kind of slipping. Like I I don't really trust their front office to make adequate moves. You see how poorly their bullpen has performed throughout the entire year. Um, And their decisions when it comes to contracts are almost laughable. So having said that, there is this sense of this could be accelerated a little bit, right? This could be the window could open quicker than anticipated because of how well the offense is. And when you look at the lack of pitching, especially starting pitching that the Blue Jays don't have or have or however you want to look at it, um, it's kind of an area of need that needs to be filled quicker right because it's going to do these kids a disservice if they're racking it at the plate like they're just launching home runs or they're hitting like above 280 let's say on average or even 300 that'd be great but the pitching sucks and we're giving up runs left and right like this front office needs to be aggressive when it comes to either free agency or the trade market and if they're going to go in the former direction Put it this way, I'm more confident that they're going to make splash trades than splash free agent signings. Yeah, I I do tend to agree with that. I think they'll wait to make a big splash trade until they see, and I don't know if I agree with this quite yet, but I think they'll wait to make a big splash trade until they see how some of their younger pitching prospects kind of turn out. Some of the guys that they got at the deadline, they are pretty high on. And I don't know if they're willing to deal one of those guys or deal someone else who they are are high on to get a big name, uh, big name pitcher when they believe they have something like that in their farm system. Whether they do or don't, I can't really speak on that. But if that's how they feel and, and from all accounts, they do think that they have something special in some of the guys they got at the deadline and some of the guys that are in the in their farm system. I would be shocked if they don't wait maybe one or two years to see how these guys are turning out, how they're projecting in terms of when they're going to be ready for the league and what type of pitcher they're going to be for the league, whether it's an ace or a two, three, four, five guy. Yeah. See that I get and the that's scary. Game. That's scary. Yeah. Because because it's so hard for some of these guys to turn out. We see so many injuries all the time. Yes. And I, you know, obviously knock on wood that it doesn't happen, but it's anything can happen. And you don't know how any of these guys are going to play out. Did they just release Pardino or Polino? Ooh. I'm not sure. Regardless, yeah. so I'll do Regardless, side, yeah. uh, look at that. Right now, the only uh, player that, or pitcher rather, that they, um, they have in the docket that's going to be like at least something that we hope will be something rather is uh, and by the way is david paulino they released um okay, yes yeah. someone that could be something is nate pearson and to put all your eggs in that basket to think like okay um this is going to be our ace of the future i don't know it's a little irresponsible like this the front office has been 
so not shy about loading up on the outfield position and loading up on the infield position, especially in the infield position. Like I have not seen this this depth, especially in the in in the corners and shortstop position. I have not seen this much depth at that position from the major leagues all the way down to single A. It's ridiculous. They have not been shy about loading up on that, but it just seems like they're sort of skimming on the pitching side. And I know like Anthony Kay, that's cool. And like Simeon Woods Richardson, that's cool. Like and Nate Pearson. But is that is that what we're counting on here? Like I, I don't see enough from Sean Reed Foley to really be like encouraged about the future. I don't see enough from Waggis Pack to be encouraged about the future. I definitely don't see enough from Thomas Pannone. And this is a guy that's from Rhode Island, so he's near and dear to my heart here, right? So but like I, I just I'm not seeing it. So if if we're going to look at what they're bringing up in the system, I'm not confident that that's going to be enough to really push them into contention. Yeah, and and I really don't either. And if these guys are as high, you know, if other MLB teams are as high on some of these guys as the Jays front offices, then maybe you're able to trade one of those younger guys to a team like I don't know, let's say the Mets or, or the 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 tigers or something for a number one pitcher which i mean i don't know if you could find them on either of those teams without giving up a whole lot um but i mean it's it's tough because like i've said like you don't really you don't know until they're here basically you don't know what they are until they're ready and if you wait too long to trade one of your young guys and they don't pan out then you've kind of you've done nothing with him and he's never going to play a game in the MLB. And then you're kind of screwed with that. And then you have to wait even longer and you don't want to wait with a a core like this because, you know, like you've mentioned a bunch of times that they are good now and they're going to be good within the next few years and they might peak and, you know, have a long peak, but they might have, they might peak within two to three years with this young infield and hopefully a, a solid outfield as well. I just don't know if they're going to make a splash just because it's, it's hard. They, I don't think Blue Jays front office wants to give up something that they're so high on. And it seems like they're very high on a lot of their younger pitchers, which I don't know. They see something. There's a reason they're in the front office. But like I'm, I'm on your side there. Like it's it's hard to see these guys really panning out the way that the way that they should or the way that they're expecting them to. Right. I should say. Yeah, and prospect porn, that's a thing, right? Like, people yeah. get so attached to their yeah. to their guys. In fact, this is a familiar narrative when it comes to, like, Simeon Woods Richardson. And um, I guess the, the, the front office was going to draft him, and he got scooped up uh, before they could draft him. And they've been, like, searching for ways to get him, like being obsessed with your guy. Like that is something that might be a detriment moving forward, right? And being attached to your prospects, being attached to the guys in your system when you can have a clear upgrade in the immediate term. I don't know. I can't get behind that. I just can't. And like, and maybe this is because I'm still drunk on the Alex Anthopoulos philosophy of just kind of pushing in. But I feel like there's so much collateral in the system that they don't have to liquidate it to go all in. Like they can take like a good, and this is at worst, 25% of their quote unquote top notch uh, prospects and still have a decent or even a very good farm system while at the same time acquiring a guy that can be a huge difference maker in the rotation. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. And if they can find a way to do so, I don't I don't think they shouldn't do it. But maybe testing the waters in free agency 
after this year and maybe not making the move. Obviously, they can't really make the move now, but testing the waters in free agency this year isn't necessarily a bad idea. See if people are excited to play with this young core after performing so well for one year. See if there's a pitcher who wants to come to this team and and wants to experience what it's like to play with such a young team and such a young core. Maybe they'll get a little more energized out of it as well. Might not be the bad approach. Um, However, if they do that for too long, this team might expire and and some of the guys might lose confidence in where this front office is going and in turn maybe you know knock on wood again here they leave and they're just not happy with the situation that they're in which would obviously be the worst case possible yeah yeah and when you if we're going to go on the flip side if you look at the free agent side of things like i i i I think that is also in their best interest, especially with a lot of the money coming off the books next season. Like they're going to have a lot of payroll to spare. Um, And if they can, first of all, I hope they're aware that if they do want to sign a big name free agent, whether it's or not, it's next year or consequent years, that that's fine. But, they need to know, and I, I hope they aren't blind to this. And again, this is no disrespect to Toronto, but just historically there has been like this sort of tax that a front office in Toronto would have to pay in order to uh, acquire a free agent. We saw it with Russell Martin, especially when it came to the term, right? If it wasn't for that fifth year, Russell Martin would have never been a Blue Jay. So I'm just hoping that the front office is aware that, hey, if you really want a guy in free agency that you believe could push this team into contention there's going to be a situation almost guaranteed in which you're going to have to overpay in order for him to come north of the border yeah and that's that's a tough thing for a lot of management in terms of any sport really to have to swallow but with a big corporation like rogers that owns the majority of the toronto blue jays and with a team who hasn't really one much in quite a long time outside of those two years of magic um they might be desperate enough to do so and it's a tough position to be put into but when you're desperate there's a lot of things that a lot of people will do and there's a lot of money that a lot of people will pay and if they do see some sort of bright side to it they might take a page out of Anthopolis's book and say, hey, look, this really succeeded. We already have X amount of pieces that will work. If we can get, you know, two or three more players for X amount of money, what we might as well just do it and see what we can do. See if we can add something at the deadline and, and make it a little bit better for us. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, let's keep it rolling here. Um, I do want to talk about another uh, one of their prospects, I guess you can say, coming up. And uh, this is sort of a twofold conversation. Um, I'm sure you're aware of the miscommunication between Charlie Montoyo and Justin Smoke regarding uh, Tellez coming back up. Um, we sort of touched on it in saying that hopefully Tellez's time in AAA was beneficial as it had been for Gurriel and Teoscar Hernandez. Hopefully these things pan out. But um, I kind of want to split it up into the situation itself and I kind of want to make a side conversation about Charlie Montoyo because on this show he hasn't really been discussed. But let's just get into it. So the the gist of this that I got was during the Texas series, Montoyo informed Smoke that, hey, uh, Tellez is coming up. He's going to get a lot of looks at first base. 
And that was sort of it. And Smoke then probably rightly assumed, okay, that means I'm playing less. And this sort of, I don't want to say blew up, but it definitely caught the attention of the media in Toronto and amongst, you know, Blue Jays writers and and reporters. Um, I guess Montoyo backtracked that and said, well, no, 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 no. You're not going to play less. Like, Tellez will play first, and then you'll play DH, and then vice versa. Like, you'll still get your playing time. Um I don't know. To me, this this is very weird. Like that is not really historically what I like to see in my manager. Like in terms of a communication aspect, especially when you have a veteran like Smoke who has been here for quite a bit and kind of has been like a soldier, right? He hasn't opened his mouth. There's been no controversy. He sort of like keeps his head down and just does his job. And I sort of respect that. Um, in fact, I totally respect that. But I kind of want to get your take on that. We'll we'll table the Charlie Montoyo in general conversation for a bit. What did you make of this miscommunication? And do you think that this was sort of blown up by the media or do you think there's really some meat to the bone there? I think the miscommunication is maybe just something where a, a rookie, you know, manager is just saying the wrong thing to a, to a veteran guy. Um, I do believe the Toronto media blew it a little bit out of like out of the water, you know, not necessarily out of proportion, but they did blow it up just a little bit as Toronto media typically does, as all sports media typically does. That's that's their job. That's what they're paid to do. They're supposed to make a story out of something. And when something juicy ish like that comes up, you're going to write on it and you're going to give your hot take or give that give that take give a perspective that someone else might not say. So yeah, we're doing I think it right the, now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so I think that the the you know combination of that, the there being a miscommunication and him being a new general manager and the media kind of blowing things out of proportion is is what made it all look as bad as it seems to look. To me, you know, the roles going back to the way it was before at this point in the season somewhat makes sense. Like the move. To do it makes sense. Him communicating that to Justin Smoke makes sense. At least to me, you know, a, a good thing about this quote unquote controversy would be that at least Montoyo is communicating this to Justin Smoke. It might not have been the best way, and he's still gonna have to try to figure that out as he as he goes on in this league, but at least he's communicating it to him. At least Justin Smoke isn't hearing this from the media. At least he's not hearing it from a guy like Ross Atkins or the hitting coach or whatever, and that they do have that communication with each other. At this point of the season, however, like it does, it does make sense to me as the young guys are doing so well. Why not throw Rowdy Tellas out there at first and and you know maybe see if he gets energized by the younger the younger guys as the rest of the Jays have. I don't know, and you know the AAA. Uh, if you're coming up from being hot in AAA why not test the waters and it's not like Justin Smoke has been a world beater this season I, you know he's hitting just over 200 right now his defense is good as always but when you're not in a position where you're really competing for a whole lot other than pride at this point it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world to let your young guy get some playing time and it's not like Justin Smoke's never going to play as a blue jay again right like he's he's just going to sit a couple more days out and that's what's going to happen with a young team who has this one old veteran kind of as the uh, as the outlier? Yeah, 
Yeah, and for me, this is not that dissimilar to Bull Bichette coming up and having uh, Freddie Galvis there at the time, right? Like, Freddie Galvis, although the tenure as a Blue Jay was not nearly as long as Justin Smoke, um, he was still a veteran presence and was... Again, I can't say what he was told in terms of playing time and opportunity and how often he was going to play when he was, uh, you know, acquired by the Blue Jays. But I do think that, you know, it was sort of understood that, hey, Bobochet's sort of nipping at your heels and there will there will probably be a situation in which you're going to have to sacrifice some playing time if and when that situation occurs. And this isn't that dissimilar to me. Like, this isn't the first time Rowdy Telez has even been on the Blue Jays squad this year. That's what makes this so unusual to me, is like, how were they able to balance that out before? Like, Vladimir Guerrero was still on this team when Telez was up. Right, so how were they able to do this balancing act of Justin Smoke, Rowdy Telez, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., DH, 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 playing time here or there? Like, it's just weird. Like, so to, in, in a way, it seems like this was a little blown out of proportion, but at the same time, I do find value in my manager or a manager being straightforward to a player and not feeding into the emotional side and saying, hey, look, this is the deal. This is a player that we're pretty heavily invested into our future uh as a result there's going to be some playing time on your end ceded to him sorry like but not sorry like this this is just the business side of baseball and like when you send a kid down to triple a to sort of not rehab but to fix his swing or fix his approach you sort of need to see that he made those adjustments and you're not going to see that he made those adjustments by playing two on two off. Like you need to see this over an extended period of time. Again, there's only 38 more games, right? That, that in and of itself is not a large sample size. Like whatever Rowdy Telez is able to do within this 38 games, assuming if he even plays all 38, that's still enough to convince me that he's uh, a solidified part of this future. So for me, I want to see a manager be more straightforward to their players and saying, sorry, dude, here's the deal. And as a result, I know it sucks for Justin Smoke, but hey, dude, sorry, you're not really part of the future of this team. And realistically, like, is he going to be a Blue Jay next year? No, no. Probably not, right? So, like, it it shouldn't come as a shock. And if he was hitting 305 instead of 205, this should be a totally different story. Yes. But yeah, he'd he's be not. traded. Right, yeah, exactly. And that's the only reason he wasn't traded is because his value was almost as low as it could be, really. Like he not that he's you know, he's a plus defender, but when his bat's not working, he is half the player that that he is, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and when you see what Tellez was able to do in AAA, I mean, during those 26 games that he was down with the Bisons, he had a line of 366, 450, 688, and an OPS of 1.138. I mean, that's good. That's really good. Again, this is just AAA, and he might be par for the course because he's so used to it at this point. He hit seven bombs, and again, 26 games, small sample size. If I'm saying 38 games is a small sample size, 26 games is certainly a smaller sample size. But again, he's part of this future. He's part of the investment that the Blue Jays are making. And 
right now, it's sort of like a two-fold thing, right? They need to know what they have in Rowdy Tellez, especially if he's going to be your first baseman of the future. Because if he is, if he's adequate on defense and producing offensively, I don't see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as a third baseman of the future. That means Vladdy Guerrero is going to be your primary DH. That means you have to look for third base help. Like, this is all-encompassing. What Rowdy Tellez is able to do or not able to do has effects, has ripple effects all pretty much throughout the entire roster. Maybe that's being a little over-embellished here, but there are consequences for other players. So right now, it's it, within this last 38-game period of you know not really competing, they need to know what they have, and they need to know what they have to prepare for in terms of what roster constructions that they have to do in the offseason. Yeah, and why waste the first 30 games of next season testing the waters with Rowdy Tellez when you have a perfect 38 games at the end of the season where you right. can switch him up, give him a, give him a couple days of rest here and there and let him really get comfortable with the league and then have him coming into next season, hopefully off of a good last you know quarter of the season or whatever it is where he can really build off that and, and have real confidence going into spring training come well, come the spring, obviously. Right. Yeah. Um, so having said that, like we, we referenced the, the Freddie Galvis situation. Do you see a scenario in which, again, there's not a lot of time left, but do you see a scenario in which the Blue Jays would quote-unquote do Justin Smolka solid and put him on waivers? Um, I, I find it hard to believe them, them doing that because they still do need that extra guy to kind of roam around first base. And I don't think Rowdy Tellez is really there to be that, that guy consistently quite yet. I think they'd like to see how he plays out and defensively, he's not quite there. And it is probably nice when you've got the young infield around him to have that confidence in your first baseman, to be able to make the scoops and to be able to kind of help out a little bit defensively, give the other guys more confidence in that as well. It's not like Justin Smoke is going to be playing all these games. And on top of that, Justin Smoke's a good leader from all accounts in the clubhouse. He's a good, you know, head uh, headstrong guy. He knows how to keep his head down and just play ball. He leads by example. He does all the good things that you like in a in a ball player. And they probably like that around the locker room with such a young group I've, as we've been talking about this this whole episode guys like Biggio who haven't been here for a very long time Bichette obviously hasn't been here a long time and Vlad hasn't even been here for that long either even though it feels like he's been here for years hmm. I, don't, I don't I don't see them moving him I don't see them putting him on waivers it would be nice to see however I think it would be a good move but I don't I don't believe they will I don't see it happening as much as all right i can't say that i expected the freddie galvis thing but in hindsight it makes total sense this is a, a situation that does make the same amount of sense for me because you do have a brandon jury that's able to maintain that load at first base if and when rowdy telez needs like a day off from first right and again they're not competing for anything they're not even pushing for a second wild card so if we're just playing auditions here maybe it's in their best interest to do so. And again, like this is a guy that has been a loyal soldier for the Blue Jays for quite some time. I want to say since 2015. So if that's the case, um, maybe it like if you're so eager to quote unquote do Freddie Galvis a solid after, you know, a little more than half a season, I can't imagine that they wouldn't do the same for a guy like Justin Smoke, who's been on this team for almost four years. 
Yeah, I don't disagree. It would be nice, however, to see a a good send off for Justin Smoke. You know, last series of the season, give him a big standing ovation and whatnot. But that's you know that's not the business side of things. That's just me talking right now. But yeah, like if if he asks for it, I'm sure they will abide and they will do what's best for Justin Smoke in this situation, um, as long as it you know benefits the team, which it doesn't hurt them in this scenario. But to me, I I find it hard to believe. I don't. I agree with what you're saying, though. Like it does make sense. I just am not sure they'll make that decision when they have such a young core, and he's kind of the only veteran who has ever been in a situation uh, where he's been on like a winning team and whatnot. So, as we put a pin in that conversation, I want to sort of unload and extrapolate what I was talking about when it comes to Charlie Montoyo. Um, save for this miscommunication or communication error or whatever you want to classify it as kind of want to get your thoughts on this and it's sort of a, uh, a surprise because i didn't put this in the show notes for you but um just you know shooting the shit here what do you think of him uh charlie Montoyo, in terms of his managerial skills because um uh, well i'll save what i think about him for after your response but i just kind of want to get your take do you find him to be an integral part of this team's future or do you view him more as like a bridge manager for when they're really starting to compete um to me i think his relationships with the players and his you know kind of relationship with the media has shown that he can be an integral part of the future of this team and it's a very important thing to have good relationships with your young players and the core that's going to be coming up for you but in terms of his skills and whatnot i haven't really seen anything that has totally excited me or like gotten me you know kind of out of my chair or whatever he doesn't show like he has the the emotion that a guy like gibbons had or you know the smarts like a guy like cedo gaston had but he's also a first time coach where there are going to be a lot of learning curves and there's going to be a lot of things where you look at him and you say, Hmm, why did you do that? And then the next time he does something totally different and it works a little better. Right. To me, he's probably just learning his way around the, the tasks that it takes to be a manager in the MLB. And we kind of saw this with Nick nurse. He was never a, and you know, I hate to talk Raptors in the off season, you know me, Yeah, of course. but, um, but yeah, like you saw with Nick Nurse, he had struggles in the beginning of his first year as a coach. Obviously, they won the championship, and that's an exception. But you see it a lot of times with new coaches or managers in the case of baseball. It's like you, there's always a learning curve, right? And it's like with players. You're going to start out a little slower most of the time. And once you hit your stride, you're going to be really good. I think it's a little too early in his career to really decide whether he's that integral part of the of the team and whatnot but in terms of his like relationship building and how much he it to me it looks like the players like him a lot so how much that factors into into a good baseball team and a good chemistry especially around a young team like this i think that's very important um but like outside of that i think he has made some questionable calls and i think that you know there are better managers in the league and there's going to be better managers coming out soon who are either done contracts or are more interested in playing with this good of a young core i i think it's too early for me to say to be completely honest no that's fair and you know i guess i just have a bad taste in my mouth when it comes i wouldn't say a bad taste just like sort of a questionable taste because 
I don't have anything against them as an individual. In fact, like I love the positivity and you know, like there was a portion in the season that he was, he was so pissed during an interview or a post game that he was like, we, I fucking hate losing or losing fucking sucks or something like that. Like he, yeah, he was very like emotional when it came to it. And I was like, that is something that like, I need to see more of, but obviously if that is not part of him, if that's not part of his everyday personality, I don't want that to be forced. I just like to see some sort of passion when it comes to my manager or whatnot but i just i feel like this front office really really wanted rocco baldelli in the offseason and they wanted someone young and more in tune with the younger core coming up to be sort of relatable and he ended up going to the twins and i just feel like the blue jays was like all right next up i guess like let's go to plan b or even plan c like it it just i get the feeling that he wasn't sought after and it was more of a all right who do we have left kind of thing and maybe i'm just misreading this i again i have no issues with him as a manager there's just something about his lack of a presence and maybe I'm overvaluing it, but lack of a managerial presence that I don't know. It just doesn't seem like he fits with this core moving forward. Like there's something about the, his style, his uh, laid back way of managing the team that doesn't scream to me. This could be useful when they're really starting to push the needle into contention. Yeah, and he he kind of reminds me of Gibby in the way that you said, like he's very laid back and whatnot. But to me, at least in interviews, when you when you saw things, Gibby was would be able to break things down more. He'd be able to explain why he did this or why he did that. And we haven't seen that a whole lot out of uh, Montoyo as of you know this this far into the season and this far into his career that might change it might not i don't know if it really indicates anything but you know when you don't really have that like i said uh, he doesn't have the emotion that gibby has he's not going to go out there and get tossed for one of his guys you know quite yet he might do that later on in his career when he just doesn't give a fuck like gibby did yeah but i mean it it will uh i think we'll see like it's i don't know if they'll they won't make that decision this off season obviously but when it comes down to it, I think in the next year, year and a half, things will change and we'll be able to see things if he isn't getting the best out of, you know, a guy like Bichette or a guy like Biggio, uh, as we think that they should be growing. And if they're not making those extra steps, that's where things are going to get a little hectic for him and where people are going to start putting him on the chopping block. But I do, you know, he has made differences and changes to this team's offense right we're seeing a lot more bunting we're seeing a lot more base stealing this year uh and you know we do have the personnel that is better for that than when gibby was around but you're seeing a a change in baseball and it's getting more to the small ball along with their obviously the firepower that they have up top hitting for home runs and stuff but it's to me it's a it's been a little refreshing seeing that kind of stuff and it I think it does come from the top down in terms of Montoyo through whoever else is is in there. And so that's that's where I'm really on his side, but I'm kind of with you like I I do think he wasn't the the number 1 pick. I don't even necessarily think he was the number 2 pick, but they were high on him when they got him and that gave me a little a lot of confidence in him. He's coming from the Tampa Bay Rays who have always had a good coaching staff, pitching staff, all that kind of stuff and 
it's that also gives me confidence in them. And it, it'll be interesting to see how he develops himself along with this young core, how they develop themselves and stuff. And I think it'll be telling as to the steps that these guys take in, you know, one, two, three years. Yeah. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to shit all over him. He does <laughs> have, he has incorporated some positive and I don't want to say, you know, um, influential things but there are there are some things like specifically yesterday during we're by the way recording this thursday evening yesterday during uh the the game in the afternoon hazel was talking about this this philosophy of having uh infield practice right like uh, having all the infielders present and having like live batting practice hit ground balls specifically to them and going like full throttle um in in terms of defense i like that like i like working on defense in in real time and real game speed i think that is very beneficial to these players especially as we if we're going to rewind this all the way the fuck back to the beginning of the show i was talking to you about how Kevin is sort of flat-footed and his his um left to right needs a little bit of work that is a great way to sort of hone that in and to make you better to have this sort of uh fielding practice in the beginning of games to really do it in game speed i love that a lot and that is apparently, according to Hazel May, something that has been imperative for Charlie Montoyo to sort of implement on this team. And there have been coaches underneath him that were reluctant to adopt that, but now that it's there, they love it. And to me, that is great. That's a good sign of things moving forward. Maybe I'm just still, like, sort of drunk on Gibby here, right? Because I'm just so <laughs> used to it, right? Yeah. And and before that, like, Cito was very, like, loud and whatnot. But there... <sighs> I just need to see a little bit more passion. And if that's just not him, then whatever. Passion doesn't, you know, turn into results. So maybe I'm being a little bit greedy there. I have no problem with the way he's utilizing the bullpen. I have no problem with the way he's utilizing the starting rotation. In fact, I think he is pulling them at just the right times. Um, So maybe it's just me looking too deep into it. I just need to see a little bit more. I don't know. There's just some, some element missing, that it factor that's missing that I just need to see. And I'm hoping that within the next couple of seasons, he'll be able to sort of emote that forward. Yeah, and I agree. And um, we kind of talked about this off off air here before. And like I've been interning at Sportsnet and I've gotten the chance to kind of go down to a few games and help out pregame and stuff and be down on the field and around the, the guys in that area, kind of hanging out with Hazel May and the other Blue Jay Central guys. And, and a lot of the stuff that people are pointing out in the pregames is that how prepared everybody seems to be and that they do think that that is coming from the top down from Charlie Montoyo, making sure that everybody's out at a certain time, making sure that they're doing, you know, relatively the same stuff game in game out and making sure that they get X amount of ground balls, uh, with guys who haven't had the defensive ability as, as we've talked about with Biggio and Vlad and Bichette, that they're all getting their reps and that they're all getting their hitting reps and all this kind of stuff is going as smooth as possible and that there's not a whole lot of breaks in between and that there's not a whole lot of, uh, distractions in terms of, you know, like young guys like to get distracted. They'd like to play around, but when it comes to game time, he's really there implementing the, the important things and making sure people are doing the fundamentals correctly. And he's really bringing that into his coaching staff. Like you kind of said at the, at the beginning of your spiel there. (laughs) (laughs) This is the overtime podcast network. Hey, remember that time when we uh, talked before the show that I said this this probably won't be long, <clears throat> and it ended up being a 55-minute conversation, so here we are. So yeah. 
Yeah, let's put a bow on it right here. Um, Let's get into predictions and we'll wrap it up. Um, They got a three-game series against Seattle into the weekend, and then next week they go on the road to L.A. to face the Dodgers. Um, Seattle is kind of one of those weird teams. I don't know. Whatever. They're home. (laughs) I'm saying two out of three. Blue Jays will take it. Yeah, I'm saying the same thing. All right. I'm saying the same thing. Um, Like I said, they travel to L.A. I won't be watching any of those games. I can't stay up for three hours starting at 10 p.m. I just can't do it. So, um, And plus, the Dodgers are really fucking good. They're just really good. Um, Yes, they are. I think Billy just hit 40 today, which is... He did. Oh, my God. God, It was He crushed it. Yeah. He crushed it. Oh, my God. I'll be generous, and I'm going to say the Blue Jays will take one of them, but I'm not even confident in that. So I also said one, but I'll change my answer and I'll say that they win zero. <laughs> <laughs> my my real prediction, however, is that Bellinger hits more than four home runs in the series. Jesus, That's he, more- <laughs> he he's he's gonna get to forty five by the end of the J series. That's my prediction. Which, so uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. How many? You're saying he's gonna hit four in that series? Prob- probably. So Jeez. he'll 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 be at fifty five by the time the. the- the Jeez. J series is done. <laughs> God damn. He's giving uh Yelich a, a run for his money there, but yeah. 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 All right. So you're going to say 0. Um I I'm zero. leaning 0, but you know, for the sake of fanhood, I'll give him 1. Um right. but even if they if they take 0, that's 2 out of 6 games. Yeah, it's not good. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's no, it's not at all. It's not at all. <sighs> I don't know about. I mean, like, like you said, you're interning there, so I don't know uh, if you're required to watch the games or if you're if you're able to watch the recap the next day. But um, if you are required to watch those games live, dude, I I I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I don't have to watch them live, but I do have to watch. I do have to watch them f- full through at some point. So. Okay. Yeah, you yeah. can't cheat we'll and watch the condensed version. Maybe, maybe Blue Jays in thirty <laughs> for those next three days. In that uh, don't Dodger put that series. on audio. No, I yeah. watched. The, yeah. I am very diligent. No, yeah, no, I, I watched the whole thing. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all good. <laughs> all right, man. Well, having said that, uh, you know the deal. Your time to shine to promote any and everything you got going on. I understand you just released a Raptors podcast episode discussing the season, the schedule that came up. So, um, any and everything you got going on, go for it, man. Floor is yours. Yeah, guys. So if you guys enjoyed this, um, you can always find us at, you know, just search Take Six in any podcast app that you listen to, uh, wherever you listen. If you guys could subscribe, rate and review, that's always very helpful. Um, As always, you can find us at takesix.org. And, you know, we post blogs there. We post a a bunch of stuff for Jays and Raptors. I also write for Raptors Rapture. If you're a Raptors fan, just happening to listen to a somewhat depressing Jays podcast, <laughs> um, I write there. That's where I'm getting uh, my money for writing. So if you could check out my articles, you don't even have to read them. Just click on it, and and it and it goes into the paycheck. So you let me. Uh, you can do that. That'd be awesome. You helped me out quite a bit there. Um, and then yeah, that's about it for me. Adam, as always, thank you for having me on, dude. Of course, of course. And I highly encourage everyone to rate, review, and subscribe to the Take Six podcast and uh, put some money in Hunter's po- uh, pocket and uh, visit the Raptors rapture. But uh, um, until then, I'm sure we'll talk before the season ends. And even if we yes. don't, Raptor season is right around the corner. So there's that. But uh, uh, I appreciate you coming on, man. And uh, go Blue Jays. Of course, go Jays. 
you for listening to the South of the Six podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at South of the Six and subscribe to our show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Yeah, we're everywhere. While you're at it, if you liked what you heard, do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Go Jays and Raptors. Raptors.